Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, that is JB3. And I don't know why, but lately it feels like in between episodes just seems like a really, really long time. I know it's only two weeks in between episodes, but it's still, it just, I don't know, whatever. This week, we are talking about one of my favorite subjects. Uh, Those who know me well, or even know me a little bit, know that I am a macro social worker and I am all about community, I'm about organizations and thinking about things from a broader perspective and how all of these things are intertwined and the ways that they interact with each other. And today we're talking all about community engagement, which is such an interesting topic because the way that we approach community engagement will inform the work that we do. And in many cases, we find ourselves talking about community engagement, or at least thinking we're talking about community engagement, and we're in fact talking about community outreach, which is really transactional. And it's really more about what can I, or better yet, what can we do for you? Not so much what do you need from us, where I think of community engagement as something that should be mutually beneficial. And the fact that we have a relationship with each other and I take the time to get to know you, know your desires, know your needs, know what matters to you, know your skills, your abilities, your aspirations, like all of those things help to inform community engagement endeavors. And when we think about community outreach, I often think of like town halls or kind of like door knocking, which there's nothing wrong with that. That's where I got my career started. I started working at the Allen Neighborhood Center the summer before my senior year in college. And I got to go knocking door to door, talking to residents about our weatherization program, signing people up for the Ingham County Health Plan, getting people connected with food assistance. Like all those things were really important, but it was really a reflection of this is what we can offer you and just making sure you know that we're there and less about what the community needed and how we could assist in getting that for them. Because as as institutions and anchors and communities, that's what our real role should be. I mean, we may have a very specific mission statement, a very specific vision, but we often have the resources and the power to access others who can help to change whatever the dynamic may be for people in their, their communities. So this week, we are talking to Dr. Jody Cunningham, who I've had the honor of, of working with. Um, you've heard me reference on the podcast a few times now about a social determinants of health project that I was attached to, which was funded by the Do Beaumont Foundation. It was called the Build Health Challenge. I believe they're on their third cohort now. I was a part of cohort two as part of their health equity technical assistance team. It was really exciting work. And I think it's it's helped to shape the way that I think about a lot of the concepts and um, initiatives that I work with now. And so what was really exciting about that particular project is it brought together um, a few different stakeholders and partners to address a very specific community need. And just the ways that these groups interacted, it was it was really important to have a strong governance structure to ensure the efficacy of whatever the intervention was. So I'm going to let Dr. Cunningham break down kind of her role, 
But what I want you all to listen out for in today's episode is really the way that she centers communities, the ways that she ensures community is represented, and the ways that community continues to be a part of the sustainability plan. Because what we often see in the work, we might invite community up front and then it kind of disappears after the survey has been completed. We don't circle back around. And so I, I want you to hear how community becomes part of the sustainability plan. So let's go ahead and kick things off. Dr. Cunningham, would love to have you introduce yourself to our listeners. Hey, James, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to join. So you wanna let the listeners know a little bit about you, where you're from, maybe where you went to school? Absolutely. So I was born and raised in small town, Ohio, originally from Chillicothe, which is about an hour south of Columbus. And I currently live in Cincinnati, where I've been for the past 13 years, and I came here for school. So I'm a proud UC Bearcat, a three-time alumna of the University of Cincinnati, where I majored in health promotion and education, which is basically public health for my bachelor's, master's, and my PhD. And for my doctoral degree, I had a specialty focus on maternal and child health. And so with all of those pieces put together, what are you doing currently? Yeah, so in addition to teaching public health college courses for the past three years, I've been working with the community builders. So we are um, one of the largest mixed income nonprofit real estate developers and resident service providers. So that's where I'm housed in the country. So essentially that's a big name for, I work in housing, um, primarily affordable housing. And uh, my role is the director of health and housing. So I get to lead initiatives where we leverage the platform of affordable housing to address complex community health issues, including um, one initiative that I know um, you and I have partnered on called Avondale Children Thrive. So I'm glad that you introduced that project, which I, I love so much. I wish I would have more time to get into the mechanics and the operations of it while I was there. Yes. Yes. But tell the folks listening a little bit about Avondale Children Thrive. Yeah, so Avondale Children Thrive is a resident-led initiative uh, designed to combat infant mortality. And we've done that through these health champions that we've hired through housing. Um, and they actually provide one-on-one -on -one coaching and resource connections to the mothers and young kids that live in our buildings to achieve several outcomes, which include housing stability, connections to primary care, preschool enrollment, early literacy promotion, increased safe sleep practices, breastfeeding promotion, workforce development, and even smoking cessation. So we do all the things, um, whatever is really necessary for the residents. So it's resident-led through these leaders, but it's also resident-led in the sense that when these resident leader health champions sit down with the mom, they really say, what's important to you? What, what do you wanna do? And the health champion initiative is really designed to let that resident lead what, um, what they really wanna work on and what they need help with in their life. And so I imagine that's a completely different model than what we're typically used to. Usually we're prescribing things, but when we put power in the hands of community members, how does that transform the experience? 
Yeah. So I, it's interesting when I kind of look at my, my background is when I usually, I get some odd looks when I say my background's in public health, but I work in housing. Um, but I think that's just kind of a great example of the nature of the work we do that housing is public health and public health is housing. So I think instead of treating folks, you know, simply as a patient at the doctor's office or resident looking for an apartment for their family, when we see them as this whole person, we find that all of these areas of their life intersect either for good or bad. And I, I love the fact that I get to creatively support people to live healthier lives and get a think outside of the box with these experts, these resident leader experts driving everything we do. So let's step, take a step back. How did you all define who some of those experts and leaders would be? Yeah, so I mean, the, the term that we hear now a lot is people with lived experience. And um, that's, that's really what, um, what kind of criteria we actually looked for was a few things. What, what kind of transformation has already been happening in the neighborhood and who's been a part of that? So uh, we were lucky in um, the Avondale neighborhood to receive a choice implementation grant during the Obama administration to um, renovate and redevelop and transform the neighborhood, including, ho including housing in the neighborhood. So there were resident leaders that were a part of that process that said what they wanted in the community, what they wanted the businesses to look like that we brought into the commercial spaces, all of those things. So um, when I came on board to lead this initiative, I said, who, who are the natural leaders? I connected with our local um, Cincinnati Public School District um, where we have a partner there and said, who's been showing up doing work in the community here? I connected with our local partners um, in this work and really found out who was already doing the work, but maybe not getting paid for it or maybe not being um, noticed for their work and really tried to formalize their role in the community. I'm really interested in the partner piece because when I was down there, the fun, the project that we were a part of, it really brought together, if I recall correctly, three distinct groups, community-based organizations, uh, health department, and hospitals. And so what kind of partners do you need at the table to really facilitate this kind of opportunity? Yeah, James, we are so lucky with our partners. I can't, I can't say that enough. We could not do this work without amazing partners. So you're right. We, uh, we served as the housing organization, which was kind of this community-based organization. And then we had two key partners, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, which is right in, our, in the backyard of Avondale, and our local Cincinnati Health Department, who leads a uh, coalition of um, cross-sector groups, including businesses and um, faith organizations and many others. And those, those are really our key partners in addressing the social determinants of health and supporting those health champion leaders with training, um, you know, support and an array of other kind of benefits. Can you paint a picture for us of kind of the inequities that you are looking to address? I mean, you described the social determinants of health, but were there specific things that were held in place Absolutely. So unfortunately, you know, Avondale Children Thrive was birthed out of this tragic issue in our community, which is infant mortality. So at the beginning of this initiative, our neighborhood, it was ranked number two in the nation for infant mortality rates. 
and this community, like many predominantly black communities across the nation, have been on the receiving end of disinvestment that has led to these issues. So uh, we were and still are, you know, a food desert and nationally ranked in child poverty um, numbers. There's a lack of jobs within the neighborhood, transportation barriers and educational disparities, you know, a lot of the things we hear about, but the, the real issue for us was infant mortality, preterm birth that contributes to infant mortality, and how can we build trust with the healthcare system and, you know, harness the expertise of these resident health champions to really drive change in this area. I really hope by the time this episode is posted, I can go back and find the picture that we all took um, of <laughs> the Queens of Cincinnati, because that was a really- I hope so, I hope so too. Aren't they amazing? They're still kicking and amazing. That's great because they, I feel like what often happens, we find ourselves as the the quote unquote experts and that's just because of degrees or because, you know, we have the attained education, but we really learn so much more from community members because, you know, they are anchors within their community and they have the history they, when we went through some of the exercises, the things that they described as milestones for them that had impacts on, you know, decision-making across the county, across the city, we would have never considered that in like any of the theories that we we talk about on a regular basis. Absolutely. I, I learned so much from them. I continue to learn so much from them. I think when I first showed up in Avondale, kind of on the scene and, and was ready to go and was so, you know, green and new to this work in this world, fresh out of college. I had a bunch of grannies in Avondale, you know, get me together real quick and say, okay, well, what are you guys going to do about lead? Because there's a, there's a building that was torn down. I don't know if you're, it's your guys's, but I know people should be spraying water out there. And I don't know if there's lead issues. We need some books to give out to the kids. So I'm going to need you to get those. And it was this, this welcoming environment, but they're going to hold your feet to the fire and they're going to hold everybody's feet to the fire to make sure that the neighborhood improves and people actually do what they say they're going to do. And, and I welcome that and encourage that. But, and I think it's just made me, um, you know, just stay really connected to the root of it through them. They're, they're my leaders and mentors in so many ways. Definitely. And so when we start thinking about engagement, and thinking about the spectrum of engagement, in many ways, we find ourselves falling short, right? We may invite community to a meeting, may or may not even listen to them, and we just go on about our basic rule of thumb operations. How are you able to move away from that model? I mean, really embedding those health champions into the decision-making, into the operations, and really making sure that they had a voice and they felt empowered. That's a great question um, as well. So we, we started with hiring them and paying them for their work. And that seems very basic, but it is, I'm finding it's not basic at all. So I mentioned there a lot of them, one of our health champions who's so amazing, Jennifer, she, when I interviewed her and wanted to hire her, she said, I didn't know I could get paid for doing this. And the first time I met her, my first day in the office, she had a new mother that had just moved into our apartments. It was pouring down rain. Mom had two babies in the stroller and Jennifer was walking her up and down Reading Road, which is our corridor, it's where all of our housing is, showing her all the places that she needs to go where she can get support. And 
that was really a, a momentous occasion for me because it just so speaks to the nature of residents in the community. And I think what oftentimes, you know, our systems and our organizations fail to do is value and compensate these amazing experts in the community that have this expertise in a way that's meaningful. And for us, that's financially, and it's through you know professional development opportunities. I've written many letters of reference and utilized um, you know my leverage and my networks to connect our health champion team to professional advancement opportunities, trainings, coaching, and, and they're just compensation. It's amazing what simple things we could do because I, I think in many cases we make make this much more difficult. I mean, sharing power is a complicated process, but there's really simple, tangible ways that we can use the power that we have, whether as individuals or as part of institutions, but it doesn't have to be rocket science. I completely agree. I, I absolutely agree. And we're not always gonna get it right, um, I've actually, you know, had conversations with our, my team and said, is this, is this wage fair for the work you're doing? They've advocated to me for more money and more hours. And I'm at a position where I have skills to write grants or to leverage, you know, internally and say, I need more money for them. Um, and have been able to do that because of this kind of bilateral decision making that we have as a team. I want to go back to the discussion of partners. How, and this might be tied to like sustainability, knowing that there was a very specific grant opportunity that you all were working on, but how do you invite different groups to participate in these type of initiatives, knowing that community engagement can often be a barrier for folks? Yeah, I, so I think I'll, I can highlight um, one of our, our key partners, which is the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And there's actually a pretty unique way that they actually came to the table with us. So the, the hospital and, and TCB, the community builders, we had this longstanding relationship previously since the earlier 2000s. And really it was birthed out of this project where um, doctors and researchers at the hospital began noticing connections between their pediatric patients coming in with repeat emergency room visits and hospitalizations for asthma and other related issues. And then the, the doctors and researchers were able to look at some hot spots in the area. They, they looked at the address and did geomapping and lots of things that I don't know enough about. And they were able to find that these patients actually were coming from around the same five buildings in the community. So there were these other housing issues that were contributing to them having this, these poor health issues. So the hospital partnered with legal aid and actually filed a lawsuit against the landlords and won. And so then the children's hospital, talk about thinking outside of the box as a healthcare institution, they reached out to us knowing the kind of work we've done and the track record we had and recruited us to come and purchase those buildings. And then together, you know, we applied for this choice neighborhood grant and were awarded that to really transform the community. So that, that kind of partnership really laid the groundwork and would actually serve as this kind of precursor for their investment um, in the neighborhood and in us um, in the future. And I think that's just a, a pie in the sky kind of example. I know, um, you know, a lot of institutions aren't set up to do that, but I am happy to say, I think that's the gold standard. And I think that's what we should strive towards if we're thinking about, you know, not just patients, but whole people 
in their neighborhoods, their whole families. And so I think you were getting at my next question. What were some of the obstacles um, with keeping people or partners engaged in that way? Yeah, so I think some of the obstacles to this work, James, is we want to go upstream. We want to, you know, do this cross-sector collaboration, bridging all of these different sectors together to achieve something great. And sometimes that's complicated. And I think oftentimes it's more complicated than we think. So uh, one major obstacle I mentioned earlier, we, we're in a food desert. We haven't had a grocery store in the neighborhood in over a decade. And um, uh, most of our residents rely on public transportation, which is not, um, not where we want it to be. So we, as part of this big initiative, we're bringing a grocery store to this, um, this Avondale Town Center space that we redeveloped and built out apartments on the second and third floor. And we're gonna have commercial spaces on the first floor. And the grocery business was like, you guys think you're so cute trying to just bring a grocer into the neighborhood right now. And we didn't know much about the business, um, but long story short, we learned a lot more, more than I ever wanted to know, uh, including that the, the net grocery profits during that time in 2017 were around 2%. So grocery stores weren't making much money and grocery stores were actually closing in affluent neighborhoods during that time. So we have this great initiative. We want to bring food to the neighborhood. We've got investments from Children's Hospital. They really rallied to fill some capital gaps that we had for funding with the city and others. And we couldn't get the grocer in. So we've had lots of delays in that project, trying to just get someone in the space. And then you layer on top of that, these commitments we made to the community. When we asked the community what they wanted, as I spoke of earlier, they said, we want black owned businesses. We want women owned businesses. And we want amenities that work for the current residents that are in the neighborhood, amenities that are important to us. So when you have that context, it makes it even more difficult to deliver on those challenges because we're those challenging kind of gaps to fill because we're looking at an even more narrow scope. So let's shift gears a little bit and start talking about the solution. Um, so Avondale Children Thrive was looking to accomplish a lot. I mean, when we talk about the social determinants, even if you pick one or two, that still has a lot of work involved in that. So what role did you play specifically in addressing some of these inequities? Yeah, so um, I can start with the, the grocery store. So kind of where we are with that is we, we actually work to get a signed letter of intent with a black owned business. So we have a new full service grocer that's going to be in the space and um, right next to it, we were able to leverage our community partnership with the Urban League of Greater Southwest Ohio, and they, they're opening a space in our town center that's a new center for social justice. So we're really excited about that prospect of residents being able to um, you know, shop for their groceries, engage in social justice issues right next door. And this is just a great example of the hard work and the, the way community partners can really come together and make something happen when, um, you know, the community is, is on the line. The other part, going back to the health champion work and the one-on-one -on -one coaching, so they've been working since um, very beginning of 2018. They're supporting around 90 residents, uh, 90 mothers, fathers, grandparents, and around 160 kids 
with a, an array of things, one-on-one um, -on -one coaching to address a, a variety of issues and the support and the data we've collected on that program is amazing. We've seen progress there. And then broadly, our county actually saw 14 fewer black infant deaths in 2019, which was a 24% decrease in black infant mortality compared to those previous five years. So Avondale was actually listed as a key neighborhood with concentrated improvements as part of that um, last report from a local partner called Cradle Cincinnati. So there's still disparity among black and white babies in our city and even losing one baby is one too many. So the work absolutely continues on. So could you describe kind of how COVID-19 has impacted community engagement? Realizing that so much of the work is face-to-face, -face, it's really you know, predicated on relationships. How are you able to maintain those relationships even in this current environment? Yeah, so it's it's been a really um, challenging issue for us. So sometimes it's already difficult to engage with the community. Uh, we think we have a leg up because we are engaging with the community with trusted neighborhood residents and trusted peers that live right down the hall. Um, but sometimes people are just busy and people have other priorities and, and a lot of times they want to be engaged, but it's difficult. So COVID um, and the pandemic has just added this extra layer of difficulty for us. So much of our work is just together in the same space. And I definitely didn't realize how much we were out in the community, how much we were in the buildings, canvassing, getting flyers, knocking on doors, saying, how are you? What do you need help with? Uh, hosting literacy events in the courtyards of our building where we give away books and we read to kids and we have fun. And that has just been stripped away as we we've been um you know our community has really had, had difficult times with the pandemic with many residents um you know falling ill um to that so we have persevered i will say i'm so proud of my team because uh, we don't use tech a whole lot um our, our health partners have pushed us to you know, use data and use online systems and track things that way and connect for webinars and things like that. But face-to-face -face is our favorite method. But my team has switched. They've done a lot of shifting to phone calls and text messages and um, Facebook Messenger, providing support that way with residents and doing um, no contact drop-off of resources. So we've dropped off food. We hold um, food pop-ups uh, with a local um, partner to give away uh, 100 bags of food every month. And so we've tried to put some rules in place to make it safer, um, but it's been hard for a community that's really used to being together. Certainly. I can, I can only imagine, especially just looking at the camaraderie when I was there, I mean, having to split that up because it, it contributes to the work. It's part of the productivity. It really is. So thinking about this from a policy standpoint, what could others be advocating for when it comes to ensuring that children, and not just in your community, but across the, the nation, have exactly what they need, right? From like, what could others be doing or better yet stop doing to make sure that there's equity in the childhood experience? Yeah, James, I feel like I'm a broken record in a lot of ways. Um, 
I think that I am in the nitty gritty of um, various health issues in my role, not only in Cincinnati, but in other communities dealing with social isolation and mental health and, and other initiatives. And I can confidently tell you that 95% of the time, all roads lead back to poverty and all roads lead back to inequities as it relates to wealth building. And even it, it emerged from the data uh, with Avondale Children Thrive when we left it open-ended and when the health champion sat down with the resident and said, what do you need help with? Jobs, workforce development, making more money all emerged as huge themes because I mean, what do we look like <laughs> talking about uh, breastfeeding and, and safe sleep and these other things? when someone is just worried about keeping lights on or you don't have food in your refrigerator. And I think a lot of times we make that mistake uh, by going in with an agenda, there's this issue. We see this data in the community where there's a disparity and we wanna go fix that. And we don't think about those basic necessities like housing and food and jobs first. So I think any policy that relates to um, redistributing funding, redistributing wealth, letting communities decide where money goes and where resources go, I think all of that is, is progressing in the right direction. And you, you brought something up that I, I always like to hear more about. And say that you do see trends in the data and your organization is really positioned to do a very specific thing. But you hear from community that you describe basic needs, but say that their desires and efforts are really in another place. How do you use your power to, to pivot or make sure that those basic needs are being met? That is a great question and it's such a balance. Um, there, there are many times where I have not wanted to do or implement the, the in intervention that the health champion team says they wanna do. <laughs> That's, that happens often and uh, it's a balance. And I think I, we've gone with what they've said and it, it's worked a lot of times. And sometimes there is that leverage that comes in um, and the expertise that comes in on my end for us to kind of make decisions together. Um, I wish I had a better response, but I think it's just a balance. And I think what, what helps most is when you have invested folks at the table thinking about these issues and coming together to solve the issues together and not just the housing folks in the room, not just the board in the room making decisions, not just the health champions in the room making decisions, although they're my favorite people to get in the room making decisions, but it's bringing all of those folks together, the board, the health champion, the housing person, the property manager, the maintenance team, they know so much because they're on the grounds and just having this redistribution of power that doesn't stop at the table, but actually carries through to where money goes and where the initiatives go. And I commend again, our, our health partner at Children's Hospital, because we've done that for the, the past few years as part of this process, um, this initiative, the health champion team has been part of a grant review team that decides where some community benefits dollars go into the community. And they can sit there and say, well, I don't think this organization is really doing what they said they've wanted to do these past few years. And I don't know that they should get this funding. That is the type of um, redistribution of power that I think is really meaningful. 
now I know there's a lot to, to boil down, but if you could share with folks maybe two lessons learned from this experience or just some take homes as people are listening, what would they be? Um, I think I've hit on this some, but I think if I've got to share it down or slim it down um, to two lessons, it's that we really need to, to value when people show up to the table and show how we value that. And, and a lot of times that does look like paying residents and community members. And I, I think that if community members and lay people, you know, show up in the room, you want the expertise that they have on riding the bus and want to reform public transportation in our city, pay them. You want to know what it's like to take multiple kids to the doctor during a pandemic and how they feel about getting the COVID vaccine, pay them for that time. And I, I think that there's this understanding um, in our field where it, it's kind of the default to expect community members to show up because they care, they care about the community. And I just wanna see some, a lot of change um, in that area. And, and then the other, I think, um, the other lesson learned, I think, is just to continually, as leaders, to humble ourselves and to stay truly connected to the work. And I, I try to make it a practice of texting residents. Um, I, I stay very connected to our teams and it's been difficult for me not being in the office as much, but walking the buildings, showing up at events, um, going to the council meetings, participating in the community and not, not to be you know stuck away in an office somewhere, which can be easy when work bogs you down, but I'm always re-energized when I'm actually with the people and they keep me kind of mission focused. I had a thought when you were speaking, just imagine if we actually treated community like we treat contractors or consultants, Oof. like that would be transformative, right? Yeah, that, that consultant's gonna tell you real quick, I've got an email in my inbox, you have two hours, two hours left with us to run this data. You know, how do you wanna best spend that time? Like what if, what if we flipped that and did that with community members and valued their time that way? I, I think that's impactful. Yeah, let's, let's pitch that. That will be our new systems change effort. I'm here for it. So Dr. Cunningham, I've appreciated the time. I know we've covered a lot and I feel like it hasn't even been that long, but how do we, how do people keep up with you with the work of Avondale Children Thrive? Just stay in the know. I mean, you mentioned a lot of developments taking place. So want to make sure people can follow up with you. Yeah, and I only highlighted our work in Cincinnati, but we we are everywhere, Chicago, Baltimore, DC, uh, Boston. So yeah, uh, so for Avondale Children Thrive, um, our original initiative was funded through the Build Health Challenge. So you can find information there and that's how we got connected, James. So mm -hmm. um, that's the buildhealthchallenge.org. And you can see other amazing communities doing this kind of cross-sector work um, through their site. So our um, TCB organization information, uh, our website's tcbinc.org. And we can also be found on Twitter and Facebook at TCB Communities. Um, we also had a PBS news feature on, of Avondale Children Thrive and that other local partner, Cradle Cincinnati, which I can share with you uh, to put on the website as well. 
Thank you, Dr. Cunningham. I appreciate the time. Keep doing great work. It's necessary. Keep amplifying voice of community because that's also necessary. And I think at some point we'll see equity. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You keep doing it too. I want to thank Dr. Cunningham again for joining us on the podcast. I think as we talk about community engagement, as you think about it in your own work, how have you allowed community to show up? And has it been authentic in the way that you engage with them? And part of the reason why I titled today's episode more than just a seat at the table is I've, I've got a love-hate relationship with that metaphor. I think of the table as this location where power is hoarded and you have to invite people that we think are appropriate enough to, to join. And so... I, I kind of want to do away with that metaphor at some point. Like, let, let's move on. I, I love when I see tweets and people talking about dismantling the table because the, the table has become problematic, right? We we don't change the people around the table. We don't invite people to stay <laughs> for dinner, whatever the, however you want to take this metaphor. You all know I'm a writer, so I, I can take this in too many places. But again, thank you, Dr. Cunningham, for hopping on the podcast. It presents a few different ways for us to consider the the opportunities that we have as individuals working at organizations who have to seek out community for whatever reason to really think about how are we ensuring that we're sharing power and how are we empowering the individuals who are participating if you're listening to this episode the day that it is released guess what you all have one day left to sign up for the equity matters social justice academy I want to thank the people who joined us on Instagram Live earlier this week. We had a great, rather quick conversation around privilege and why it continues to be a conversation that needs to be had. I think the the takeaway for me was really we misunderstand power and its relationship to privilege, and we act like having privilege means that we don't have to do anything like we become immune to action and that's simply not the case and so thanks to those who joined us on instagram live earlier this week i'm realizing more and more i'm, I'm not the uh instagram live type of guy but i'm, I'm trying to push myself a little bit I, I believe in challenging myself you all know i prefer to pick up a pen and paper and, and write it out but let's see how long i continue to to show up in this way but Moral of the story, sign up for the Equity Matters Social Justice Academy. The deadline to sign up, I believe, is the 8th or the 9th of September. The link is in our bio on any of our social media platforms. So at Equity Matters Podcast on Twitter. Nope, that's wrong. That's at Equity Matters Podcast on Instagram and at Equity Matters PC on Twitter. Sign up, sign up, sign up. It is going to be a worthwhile event. I'm really excited. I'm putting the finishing touches on the slides right now. And then I'll be wrapping up the workbook. Really exciting stuff. Don't miss out. I don't think I have too many church announcements. Things are pretty quiet at the current moment. Excited for the next episode. We're going to talk about culturally responsive evaluation. Again, continuing on this theme of community engagement. How do you center those voices? The people who actually benefit from the work that we're doing or should benefit from the work that we're doing. So Dr. LaShawn Johnson is going to bless us with some gems there. Um, I think that's about it. So I'm not going to keep you all too long. Thanks for everything. 
Continue to stay safe, stay healthy, and equity matters.